0: Well, an employee at a tool and die company in Indiana bought uh, some old pieces of furniture and a painting of some flowers for about 30 bucks at a garage sale. And then he took that painting home and he strategically placed it over his couch on his wall to cover a hole that was on his wall. And that's where that painting hung for several years. And then one day he was playing this game called Masterpiece where uh, players go through these cards of different uh, paintings and sculptures, all these different masterpieces, and they have to bid on these masterpieces, guessing how much they think they're worth. And And as this guy was playing this game, he came across this card that had a painting that was in a similar style to the one that he had above his couch. And so he began to look into it, and what he found is that on that card, the painting he was looking at uh, was a similar style to what he had on his couch, and it was the work of Martin Johnson Heed, an American still-life artist known for his landscapes and flower arrangements. And so what happened was this guy ended up asking the Kennedy Galleries in Manhattan, which handles many of Heed's works, to take a look at this painting that he had hanging above his couch. And they verified that the piece of art that he had above his couch covering this hole in the wall was a previously unknown Heed painting. And since then, it's been named Magnolias on Gold Velvet Cloth. And in 1999, the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston purchased the painting for $1.2 million. See, this Indiana tool and dye company employee had no idea of the value that he had in his possession. And he used this masterpiece to simply cover a hole in his wall. We're in the midst of the series, Resolutions and Revolutions. And my hope today is to help you see what you have in your possession is to help you see what you have available to you. Because it is in your possession. It is available to you. But my guess is that you've been underestimating and undervaluing it. And because of that, you haven't seen the revolution that God wants to break forth in your life. And so that's where we're headed today. And this, this uh, church planter and early church leader 2,000 years ago, this guy named Paul, who started churches all over the Roman world, he started this church in the city of Ephesus and he wrote this letter to the church in the city of Ephesus, and he, and he told them what his prayer was for them. And this is, this is my prayer for us today. Here, here's what he wrote to these Christians in the church of Ephesus 2,000 years ago. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Here's what I'm praying, that God would give you wisdom in Revelation, that you would become wise and you would see some things you hadn't seen before so that you could know God better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. My hope and prayer is that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened, that you would open your eyes and you would see what's available to you. And his incomparably great power for us Who believe that that you would see this power that's available to you that power this power in you this power that's available to you is the same power as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every name that can be invoked not only in the present age but also in the one to come And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What Paul is saying to the people in Ephesus, he's saying, my hope is that your eyes would be open so that you could see the power that lives in you. It is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And so if you're a Christian, Paul is saying, my hope is that you would understand that what you have residing in you is a power unlike any you've ever experienced. And my belief is if you come to this understanding, if you come to see what's in your possession, the power of God's Spirit living inside of you, it'll transform your life. Because it's already available to you, but the question that I have for you is, have you underestimated it and undervalued it to the point where you aren't discovering the more you were made for? You aren't living at the level God has called you to. And he has so much more in store for you. My hope is that God would open your eyes today so that you see what you have available to you. And so Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. And um, as as we take a look at some things that happen in Ephesus, I wanna give you the title for my sermon. So if you would, go ahead and take a moment to write this down. You could take out your phone. You can open up your notes app. Uh, don't just look at me. You're looking at me right now. Go ahead. This is an action. This is an all skate. This is... And write this down. Here's the title for my sermon. Skiva Sons, Scrolls and Silversmiths. Skiva sons, scrolls and silversmiths. If you're caught on that first word Skeva, here's how you spell it. S-C-E-V-A. S C E V A. Skiva sons, scrolls and silversmiths. And some of you still have not written it down. Come on, I know you're taking notes on this. Because some of you, you think, oh, I'm going to remember this. You won't. You'll forget this as soon as you leave today. But when you take notes, you get to go back over those notes and say, what was that thing? Oh, yeah, that was that thing. And then you get to tweet it. Does anybody still use Twitter? Anyway, Sceva's sons, scrolls, and silversmiths. My hope is that you'll see today what you have available to you. And we're going to take a look at this revolution that took place in the church in Ephesus. But before we do that, I want to give you a little bit of context and history about Ephesus. Ephesus uh, was the second largest city in the Roman Empire. It was the largest city in Asia Minor. It had a population of about 500,000 people. So the population of Ephesus was about the same size as the city of Virginia Beach. The largest city in the Roman Empire 2,000 years ago was Rome. And so if Rome was the the New York of Rome, um, then Ephesus was the Los Angeles of Rome. New York is the largest city in the United States. Los Angeles is the second largest city. And so Ephesus was this major city in the Roman Empire. Again, the largest city in um, Asia Minor. And Ephesus was also a port city. It was right there on the water. And so there was a lot of buying and selling and trade that took place in Ephesus. It was a major port city. It was a major place uh, of commerce. It was a major place of influence and culture. And so this is this is the city of Ephesus. Also, the city of Ephesus was the center of Artemis worship so the, the Romans worshipped all these different gods, and one of the gods that they um, worshipped was Artemis, this goddess. She's also known as Diana. And in Ephesus was the temple of Artemis. And I think we have a, yeah, and so this was the temple of Artemis. Now, the temple of Artemis was one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, and quite possibly the greatest of all seven Philon of Byzantium, a Greek engineer, said this about the temple of Artemis. He said, I've seen the walls and hanging gardens of ancient Babylon. I've seen the statue of Olympian Zeus, the Colossus of Rhodes, the mighty work of the high pyramids, and the tomb of Masalas. But when I saw the temple at Ephesus rising above the clouds, all these other wonders were put in the shade. And so Ephesus was the center of Artemis worship. It had quite possibly the greatest of the seven ancient wonders of the world right here in this city. And you can actually see the ruins of this temple today right here. And so Ephesus, this major metropolitan city, the center of Artemis worship, the place where culture happens, is where Paul ventures into during his third missionary journey around 53 AD, and he starts a church. And I want to show you what happens as the church in Ephesus begins. We can see it in, in Acts chapter 19 is where all this takes place. It says, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples, some followers of Jesus, and he asked them, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, no. I haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, well, then what baptism did you receive? Now, now quick, quick explanation here. Paul is, is venturing into the city of Ephesus. He comes across some believers in Jesus, and he says, hey, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit? And he said, what are you talking about? We don't even know what this is about. And then Paul asked him, well, then what baptism did you receive? What baptism did you receive? Here's, here's, here's what's happening. When Jesus lived on this earth, um, so about, mm, about 30 years before this takes place, uh, uh, about 30 years before this takes place, this conversation with Paul, Jesus was alive on this earth, and he had this public ministry. And one of the things that he said was he got some of his followers around. And he said, hey, this is really great. Like, I'm here, and that's awesome, and we're doing some great things, but I'm going to leave one day. And when I leave, he was talking about when he's going to get crucified and then eventually and then buried in a tomb and then eventually raised again from the dead and then ascended into heaven. He says, hey, when I leave one day, when I'm not here anymore, I'm going to send the counselor. I'm going to send my spirit to come live inside of you. And so this is really great because I'm here and we get to do these great things, but you're going to do even greater things after I leave because my spirit is going to live inside of you. And I'm a finite person. Uh... Can find a finite place, I can only do so much, but my spirit is gonna come live inside of you, and then there's so many of you, and you're gonna be able to do great and amazing things in my name, because my spirit's gonna live inside of you. And so this is the promise that Jesus gave. And then, after Jesus was crucified, buried, resurrected, he met with his disciples, and then he ascended up into heaven, and now he's gone. And then on the, the day of Pentecost, about 50 days after Jesus rose again from the dead, God's spirit descends on the believers in Jesus at that time, about 120 people. They receive God's spirit. Peter preaches this amazing sermon. 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. They're baptized into him. They receive God's spirit. And then there's this revolution that takes place as people begin to follow Jesus and receive his spirit. And so what happens is, is Paul is going into the city of Ephesus. He comes across these believers in Jesus. He says, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive God's Spirit living inside of you? And they say, we don't even know what you're talking about. And Paul doesn't ask them, well, what prayer did you pray? He doesn't say, wait, did you raise your hand in church? He doesn't say, what confirmation did you go through? He doesn't say, when did you start believing? No, he asks them, what baptism did you receive? Here's why. Because for Paul, and what we see throughout the New Testament is that baptism and receiving God's spirit to live inside of us are connected. This is why he asked, well, what baptism did you receive? When somebody gets baptized, that's when they receive God's spirit to come live inside of us. Here's what we find, that when somebody comes to faith in Jesus, they don't believe in Jesus, become a Christian, and then years later get baptized. That's nowhere in the New Testament, what we see is not that, that that somebody says, Oh yeah, I I believed in Jesus. I said a prayer when I was 13 years old and now I'm 28 and I want to get baptized. No, no, no. What we see is that somebody becomes a Christian when they believe that Jesus died and rose again from the dead. Jesus, I, I believe that you died for me, you rose again from the dead. And because I believe that, and by the way, we can't believe that and just go about our life like nothing happened. You know what I mean? Sometimes I talk to people, and it's like, oh, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, how that change your life? Oh, I, uh, I try and show up to church every once in a while. I try and be a good person. Wait, you don't believe? You believe that somebody took your sin that separates you from God. He wiped it away. He gave you forgiveness. He rose again from the dead. You believe that, but it doesn't lead to life change. I don't think you really believe that. It changes everything so somebody says I believe that Jesus died for me on the cross he rose again from the dead and because of that I want to give him my life I want to live for him because I don't know anybody else who rose from the dead and if he rose from the dead I can trust what he said this is why you're taking notes if he rose from the dead I can trust what he said I'm gonna quote that on Facebook later and say I said it you can say that that's okay But a person becomes a Christian when they say, I believe Jesus died for me on the cross. Because he rose from the dead, I want to give him my life, not just make him the savior of my soul. I got my ticket, I'm going to heaven. No, no, no. I want to make him the leader of my life. What he says goes in my life. And then I'm going to meet him in the waters of baptism where I'm immersed, I'm dunked, plunged, I'm dipped down. And this is what happens when we get baptized. Somebody lowers us into the waters and we come up a brand new creation. Romans chapter six. We receive God's spirit. Paul came across these believers. Hey, do you have the Holy Spirit? No, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, what baptism did you receive? We receive God's spirit. We clothe ourselves with Christ. This is also in Ephesians. We're adopted into God's family. Our sins are washed away, actually. 238. When we're baptized, this isn't an outward sign of an inward faith. Real things happen. God's Spirit comes to live inside of us. Our sins are forgiven. We're clothed with Christ. We become a brand new creation. We're adopted into His family. I became a Christian when I was eight years old, and I believe, not according to what Paul says. What baptism did you receive? Do you have the Holy Spirit in you? I don't know. Did you get baptized? No, then you don't. What baptism did you receive? And that's not, well, well, Pastor, that's that's, that's a lot different than what I grew up believing. What you're saying is not what my grandma told me. That's not what my last church taught me. Listen, I don't care what your grandma said, what you grew up believing, what your last church said. Did you receive the Spirit? What are you talking about? Well, what baptism did you receive? This is Paul, y'all. Paul and throughout the New Testament, what we see is that we become Christians. God's Spirit comes to live inside of us when we believe, follow, and are immersed into him. The question I want to ask you today is, have you made that decision? Have you believed, followed, and been immersed into Jesus? And I'm not talking about you got sprinkled as a kid or um, your parents made a decision for you. I'm talking about have you made the decision to say, God, I believe that you died for me on the cross. You rose again from the dead. And because of that, I want to give you my life. I want to make you the leader of my life. I want to go all in with you and be baptized into you so I can receive your spirit to live in me so that I can have access to love peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control so I can have joy in my life so that I'm not just doing this on my own. Have you made the decision to say yes to Jesus and be baptized into him? February 26, Sunday night, we're gonna do a baptism service. It's gonna be at Avalon Church of Christ. We've got a couple people already signed up to get baptized. I think you could be one of those people also. If you've never made the decision to say yes to Jesus, today is the day. We had the mother of all QR codes up here. If you scan that, I want to see if we can get it back up. If you scan that, there is a section there where you can mark that you want to get baptized. And we'd love to talk to you about that and connect with you around that. He said, well, what baptism did you receive? Not only did Paul believe that God's spirit um, entering into us was linked to baptism, but Peter... One of Jesus' closest friends and followers uh, also believed that as well. At least this is what he preached on the day of Pentecost. Again, he's preaching to thousands of people and he lets these people know, hey, you know Jesus, like who was just alive 50 or so days ago? Like he was crucified and the people were like, yeah, we, we know, we were there, we heard about it. Not only was he crucified, he rose again from the dead. And then Peter said, and you were the ones responsible. And the people were like, oh my goodness, huh? And they say, well, what do we need to do? How do we be redeemed from this? How do we fix this? How do we be saved? And then Peter replied to them in Acts 2.38, repent, This, this idea of repent is stop following your way and start following God's way. That's making Jesus the leader of your life. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter, this guy who spent time with Jesus, when he tells people how to become a Christian, how to follow Jesus, he says, "So you already believe?" Because they're like, "What do we need to do?" He says, "Well, stop following your way, follow God's way, repent, and be baptized." And he explains what happens for the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins get forgiven in baptism, and if you act right now, you get this bonus gift of God's spirit. Like that's kind of, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So for Paul, for Peter, we see it all throughout the New Testament, us receiving God's Spirit is linked to baptism. And today's the day to go all in if you have not already. And so here's what happens. Um, uh, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he asked them, hey, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed the answered, No. We haven't heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, well, what? baptism did you receive well John's baptism they replied Paul said well John's baptism was a baptism of repentance he told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in Jesus on hearing this they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and when Paul placed his hands on them the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied here's what's happening uh Paul says, well, what baptism did you receive? They said, we received the baptism of John. Uh, there was this guy who came before Jesus. He was actually Jesus' cousin. Uh, he's known as John the Baptist. And it's not like John the Baptist, like we got denominations now. Like, so there, there, it's not like he was a Baptist. He didn't belong to the Baptist denomination. There wasn't like John the Baptist and Mark the Methodist and Pete the Presbyterian. It, it wasn't like that. <laughs> he's called John the Baptist because what he did was he baptized people. And so he's really John the baptizer. And the Greek word and the New Testament is written in the Greek language. The Greek word for baptism is baptizo. The word baptizo means to dip, to dunk, to plunge, to immerse, not to sprinkle, not to spray, but to dip, to dunk, to plunge, to immerse. And what John did was he plunged people in water to baptize them in this baptism, Paul says, of repentance where they're saying, hey God, we wanna follow you. And so John could be called John the Dipper, John the Dunker, John the Plunger, because this is what he did. He plunged people in water, John the Baptizer. And Paul explains, well, the baptism you received was one of repentance. There's this Christian baptism in the name of Jesus where your sins are forgiven and God's Spirit comes to live inside of you. And so they say, all right, sign us up. We want in. And so what happens is Paul places his hands on them. And he lowers them down into the water. And with his hands placed on them, they receive God's spirit. And it says they begin to speak in tongues and prophesy. And when that happens, these are signs that happen for these early believers so that people knew God's spirit came and lived in them. When it says they spoke in tongues, what it means is that, what it's saying is that they spoke in known languages, And so they come up out of the water. God's spirit comes to live inside of them. And as a sign that God is living inside of them now, they start speaking in a known language that they didn't learn before. And so this would be like if I started speaking in Mandarin. Like, it's a known language, but I've never learned Mandarin. You'd be like, oh my goodness, how did you know Mandarin? It's a miracle. So that's what it is when it says they're speaking in tongues. They're speaking in a known language that they didn't previously understand or know before. So now they're speaking that language as a sign that God's Spirit is living in them. And this is something that happens occasionally in the New Testament to let people know that something miraculous has happened. It doesn't happen all the time, but it happens sometimes in the New Testament. And it doesn't happen with everybody, but it happens sometimes because God is trying to communicate a message through that. And then it says that they're prophesying. Prophesying is they're just speaking God's words, and so they start preaching uh, and so this is what happens as a sign that God's spirit is now living inside of them. Again, that doesn't happen with everybody. And so if you say, "Hey, I want to be a Christian and I want to I want to get baptized and you get baptized and you don't come out speaking Swahili, like, don't don't feel bad, right? Like, well, I thought it. No. This happens sometimes in the New Testament to communicate some. I don't have a lot of time to go into it, but there's more if you want to talk more on that. But these people, they get baptized, they receive God's spirit, and this is the beginning of a revolution as the church in Ephesus starts. It says there were 12 men in all. Verse 8, Paul entered the synagogue, and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. And the way is uh, what Christianity was first referred to when it, when it first began. And so what happens is Paul goes into a synagogue, a Jewish church, and he starts talking to them about Jesus This happens for about three months. People there don't like it. And they start saying bad things about Christianity. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. So what happens is Paul leaves this religious building and he goes to a non-religious building and holds church. Paul starts a portable church. He goes from meeting in a religious building, a synagogue, to this non-religious building, that church portable church heard about this one church in virginia beach that meets in a skating rink see the start of our story is really similar to the start of the story of ephesus this is how the church begins in ephesus paul begins a portable church meeting in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, this non-religious building where great and amazing things happen and this is this went on for two years so that all the Jews and the Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. So this is the beginning of the revolution in, in, in Ephesus, and it starts with Paul revealing to them the Spirit of God who's been made available to them the whole time. Now their eyes are open to it, and they see. And because they live through the power of God's Spirit, great and amazing things happen in and through them. And then some Jews who went around driving out the evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who are demon-possessed. And they would say, Well, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? So here's what happens. Uh, These believers are are baptized, they receive God's spirit. Paul sets up a portable church. People are coming, they're hearing about Jesus, and the word of God is spreading. And then some people go out, and they start casting out demons, or at least they try to, like they've seen Paul do. And so, well, Paul's saying the magic words in the name of Jesus, so we're gonna do the same thing. And these seven sons of Sceva decide to do that. There's a guy, he has a demon in him. And maybe you hear that, and you're like, is that real? Man, I'll tell you, I, I like hear about that stuff. I read about that stuff. I'm like, ah, is that true? Uh, my coach and a friend of mine, Tim, he just went on a missionary um, journey like um, a couple weeks ago to Sri Lanka. And um, he said they, they did these revivals there. Thousands of people showed up and people had demons cast out of them. And I heard that and I was like, are you for real? Because... You know, I've heard about tent revivals and stuff, and it's like, all oh, right, you come in and pretend you got a demon. And I'm like, in Jesus' name, and you know, and I was like, for real. He said, Yeah, these people had never heard about Jesus before, and it was crazy. Like he said, I prayed for somebody, and a demon came out of them. Like something crazy happened. Like they were, he, he said, there was this, this old lady, 80 years old, 70 pounds. She came up, and and one of the, one of the other ladies who was on the team with them started praying for her. And he said, like, it took five grown men to restrain this lady. Like, she got this crazy strength, and the lady was praying over and, and, like, this demon came. So if you hear that and you're skeptical, hey, I believe it. But then I was talking with him, and I trust this guy. And they didn't set up anything beforehand. And these people didn't know about demon possession and Jesus, and he saw it. So anyway, these seven sons of Sceva... They go to this guy who has a demon in him and they say the same words that Paul said. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And the demon answers back, hey, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know y'all. I know Jesus and I know Paul, but I don't know y'all. See, these seven sons of Sceva, I think they grew up in church. I think they heard the stories They heard the narratives. They had a grandma who was praying for them. They had parents who were religious. And so they knew how to go through the motions, but when they finally tried to tap into the power of God, it wasn't there for them. Because they knew about Jesus, but they didn't know Jesus. How many of you know there's a difference? You can know about Jesus, but if you don't know him... So you look around and you see uh, stories of breakthrough. You hear stories of breakthrough. You see God working in people's lives and you're saying, how come that's not happening with me? I know about Jesus, but you don't know him. You got to know him. I wonder, do you know that you know that you know that you know? Because here's the deal. You can only live on the fumes of your parents' faith for so long. You can only coast on the fumes of your wife's faith for so long. There's a point where you got to make their faith your faith. And you got to believe for yourself, and you got to go all in. you got to say, Jesus, I'm following you. I can't coast on their faith any longer. This is what the seven sons of Sceva do. They say, well, Paul has a great faith, and we heard about this Jesus, so let me try and do something great. And then the demon says, well, I know about Jesus, I know about Paul, but I don't know about y'all. You say you know Jesus, but you don't. Y'all some dirty liars. I don't know if you ever said this. I could never say this uh, growing up because I'm an only child, but sometimes um, I'd be in school and somebody would get in a fight. I would never get in a fight because I'm good. But uh, some people would get in a fight and I would hear them say, I'm gonna get my big brother on you. You ever say that? Have you ever heard somebody say that? Somebody gets in a fight. Well, I'm gonna get my big brother on you. They're saying, I might not be able to take you, but my big brother, you better watch out. I'm going to get my big brother on you. This is what the seven sons of Sceva are saying to this demon. We're going to get our big brother Jesus on you. But the man with the demon, the demon replies, he says, Jesus and your brother? Y'all don't even know him. I know him, but y'all don't. So they're pulling this empty promise, this empty threat, because they know about Jesus, but they don't know him. And so this is what happens. Oh, and and, and by the way, I just want to point this out. If you are a Christian, you believe in Jesus, you follow him, and you've been immersed into him, Jesus is your big brother. Jesus is your big brother. Hebrews 2.11 says, Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Jesus calls you his brother. Jesus calls you his sister if you've accepted him. And so Jesus is your big brother. So when you're staring down the demon of despair, you just tell him, I'm not gonna get down and depressed because I'm gonna get my big brother on you and he's bigger than you are. That's what you can say to that demon. When you start to feel stressed and overwhelmed, you look at the demon of anxiety, and you say, "Uh uh-uh, you're not going to rob my peace. I'm going to get my big brother on you. When the demons of fear and uncertainty start to cloud your judgment, the demon of low self-esteem and dysfunctional living start to invade, you just say, hold up. Let me get my big brother on you, because he's bigger than you, and he can overcome. And through him, I'm more than a conqueror. You don't have to give in to that. You got a big brother. Seven sons of Sceva didn't know. Well, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, the demon said, Jesus, I know. I don't know about Paul, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. He jumped on them, stripped them, and beat them. So they run out of the house butt naked and bleeding. I'm just reading the Bible, y'all. He gives them a beating where they run out naked and bleeding. And when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Yeah, we're not going to play around with Jesus' name anymore. I don't want to get butt naked and bleeding. And many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. And a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. What happens is some sorcerers get convicted. And they say, we can't practice this sorcery stuff anymore. So we're going to get rid of our scrolls. And they bring their scrolls, their, their livelihood the tools that they use to make an income, the tools that they use to provide food, everything they know. They bring their scrolls and they burn them. And the cost of these scrolls, when it was all totaled up, came to 50,000 drachmas. A drachma was a silver coin in that day, which represented a day's wage. And these scrolls that they burned cost about 50,000 drachmas. In today's money, the average person in America makes $32,000 a year that comes to $170 a day for five days of work. If you calculate it in today's money, that means that the scrolls that they burned, 50,000 drachmas, was worth worth $8.5 million in today's money. These sorcerers had these scrolls that were so valuable. It was their livelihood. It was everything to them. But when they met Jesus, they said, I'll gladly give it away because knowing him is way more valuable than these scrolls. They said, we can't let this keep us from following God. And they burned the scrolls publicly. When they accepted Jesus, these sorcerers burned what was most valuable to them. Everything they knew. But when they met Jesus, they sacrificed it at all no matter the cost. And then it says that people came openly and confessed what they had done. Anything that stood in the way of their relationship with God, they got rid of it. Anything that stood in their relationship with God, anything that stood in the way, they got rid of it. They got rid of the obstacles, they got rid of everything. So I wanna ask you this morning, is there anything in your life that's contrary to Jesus that you're holding on to? Is there anything that stands in the way of your relationship with God? Maybe it's a job, a relationship. Maybe it's a way of thinking, a habit, an addiction, an attitude, a preference, your comfort, your schedule. Is there anything in your life that's contrary to Jesus? Because a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and they burned them publicly. They said, they said I can't live for Jesus and this. I can't hold on to this and Jesus. I gotta get rid of this if I'm gonna follow Jesus. It's either I'm gonna follow Jesus or I'm gonna follow this. A number who practiced sorcery came and openly burned their scrolls publicly. I wanna do this. I believe that there's some things in your life that are holding you back from fully following God. There's some obstacles. There's some things in your life that you're holding on to. And listen, as lovingly as I can say, you cannot hold on to that and Jesus. It's time to burn the scrolls. So here's what we're gonna do next week. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to bring anything that's keeping you from Jesus here. And there's gonna be a time we're gonna invite you to come up to this stage and to set it right here as a sacrifice, as a way to say, God, I don't, I can't, I can't have this in my life anymore and follow you fully. So I'm laying it down, leaving it and moving on. I'm getting rid of this from my life. And so what is the thing? You already know it. It's come to your mind. There's multiple things. You're probably listening. It's this, 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 and this. You got to bring it next week. Don't talk yourself out of it. Well, I don't really, and maybe you can't bring it. Like you can't bring your boyfriend up here and leave him up here. You know what I'm saying? You, You just can't do that. But you can write his name down, and you can say, I'm stopping the relationship because this isn't going to lead me where I want to be. There are some things you can't bring, but there are some things that you can bring that represent whatever it is. Maybe some things are intangible. Maybe some things are tangible, though. So maybe the thing you bring next week is you bring all the cigarettes that you have, and you lay them down, and you say, uh-uh. This, this is holding me back. Maybe it's your vape. Maybe it's the alcohol in your home if you drink too much and you get drunk. Maybe it's your phone. Maybe it's a a, a piece of paper with a person's name on it. Maybe it's a box of Twinkies, or maybe it's all the junk food in your house. Maybe it's an idol of Buddha, or maybe your good luck charms, your tarot cards. I don't know what it is, but what they did in Ephesus was they brought what was holding them back from Jesus, and they sacrificed it because they said, I cannot live for Jesus and have this in my life any longer. And maybe you hear that and you say, oh my goodness, I spent this much at the ABC store. The scrolls cost $8.5 million. What's it worth to you? Next week, man, next week, we're gonna give you an opportunity to bring the thing, whatever it is. Whatever it is. And lay it here as a way to say, I'm done with this. I wanna fully follow Jesus. When that happened, When they did that, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Until you burn the scrolls, until you get rid of that thing, you won't be able to experience the breakthrough of God in your life. You can't, because you're holding on to something. You won't see the marriage that you long for. This is not going to come. You won't have the peace that you hoped for. You won't find the freedom that you need because you're still bound by this thing that you're holding on to. When they burned the scrolls, a revolution broke out. So we've gone over the Sceva sons and scrolls. I gotta get to silversmiths and then I gotta end this because I'm starting to go over my time. Here we go. Here's where we see the silversmith. Verse 23, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. And a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines of Artemis, again, remember Ephesus is the center of Artemis worship. This guy makes silver shrines idols of Artemis. He brought in no little business for the skilled workers there. And he called them all together along with the workers and related trades. And he said, you know, my friends, we receive a good income from this business. We're making a lot of money, people buying these idols from us. And you see in here, How this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. See, when Paul first enters Ephesus, he just talks to 12 guys. Hey, did y'all receive the Holy Spirit? We don't even know what you're talking about. What kind of baptism did you receive? Okay, well, let's get you baptized. He reveals to them God's Holy Spirit. And then from there, he starts this portable church and people are showing up and they're hearing about God. And then the numbers grow and he has this great impact. And then as time goes on, uh, people hear about the name of Jesus. They realize, hey, we can't hold on to these things and follow Jesus. we got to get rid of them. And what's happening is the city is transforming as people are going and talking about Jesus now. And then this, this silversmith realizes, wait, my income this month is less than it was last month. Which is less than it was last month. And he starts saying, wait, these people aren't buying my idols anymore because they're turning to Jesus. I don't like this. His income is in jeopardy. His life is in jeopardy. So he gets all these other idol makers together and he's saying, hey, too many people are coming to Jesus. Their lives are changing. They're not buying what we're selling anymore. We gotta do something about this. People are actually changing when they meet Jesus. So much so that it impacts the economy of Ephesus the center of Artemis worship, the place where people come to worship Artemis, there are more and more people not worshiping Artemis anymore because of Jesus. Y'all know this faith has the power to impact the world, right? I mean, and this is what Demetrius is saying. Something's happening and we don't like it. I'll tell you, when we started this church, we had 30 people on our launch team who said, we we see a city that's going to be transformed by the gospel. We had 30 people on our launch team who said, we see a state and a country that's going to be changed by the gospel because of what we do here in and through this church. We see people's friends, coworkers, classmates, brothers, sisters, husbands, wives, kids, parents who are going to be in heaven because of our efforts here in this church. We see people meet Jesus and journey with him. We started this church not to be the best kept secret in the city of Virginia Beach, but we started this church to make an impact in this city and the world. And we still have some work to do. And we're in the beginning stages of this because we're in the process of seeing God move in a great way. And it requires all of us going all in if we're gonna see a revolution. See, in Ephesus, because people were awakened to the power of God living in them, a revolution took place which rocked a city and an entire region. Let me ask you, what would happen if we as a church recognized the power of God living inside of us and we lived out this power more fully? How would the city be changed? How would poverty be prevented? How would education elevate? How would race relations be rectified? If as a church we recognize the power of God living in us, how would our lives be different? Our attitudes and our perspectives would transform. We'd be the most employable people because of our work ethic. People would flock to us to figure out how to have the best marriages because we'd have some of the best marriages around because we loved our spouse and we submitted to one another. The kids in your school would look to you to lead because you got a vision for your life that's guided by purpose and direction. Our city would be revolutionized if we just realized the power of God living inside of us and didn't take it for granted. So Demetrius the silversmith notices the revolution taking place all around him. And he doesn't like it because this is the capital of Artemis worship. And he's losing money because people aren't buying his idols anymore. And this is what he says to these other idol makers. You see in here how this fellow Paul is convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and practically the whole province of Asia. What he's saying, this is what the silversmith is saying. This Christian movement is in danger of toppling the greatest wonder of the ancient world because these people who are following Jesus realize the power that's in them. Because they realize the power that's in them, they have the potential to change the world. Here's what I want to point out. Demetrius, who isn't even a Christian, is noting the power that Christians have. And Demetrius, who is not a Christian, who does not follow Jesus, actually believes that these Christians can change the world. Demetrius, who is not a Christian, who does not follow Jesus, actually believes that Christians can change the world. And nobody told him, we don't do that, actually. No, we just show up to church. That's what we do. What do you mean, change the world? No, we just go for whatever's comfortable and convenient. Us, change the world. Demetrius, don't give us too much credit. I mean, this is Christianity today, isn't it? Isn't it? Or do you refuse to fit into that mold? This guy who isn't a Christian believes that Christians can change the world. Can I ask you, do you believe that you can change the world? Maybe not the whole world. Do you believe you can change your own world? Two of you do. Come on. Demetrius believes that Christians can change the world, but nobody's told him we don't do things like that. This guy thinks we can actually change the world and bring about a revolutionary move of God. Oh, man, I wish we would believe like he did. You don't have to complain about your workplace. You can change your workplace. You don't have to complain about your relationships. You can change your relationships. You don't have to complain about your life. You can change your life. You can revolutionize it. This silversmith from 2,000 years ago believed it. Do you? This is what God has called us to. And he's given us his spirit to empower us so that we can be the revolution we wanna see. So here's what Demetrius does, he incites a riot and ultimately a revolution takes place in Ephesus and it all began when people were made aware of the power of the Holy Spirit living within them, when they believed in Jesus, followed Jesus and were immersed into Jesus. The sons of Sceva realized that they couldn't counterfeit it. The sorcerers submitted to the power of the Holy Spirit in them and burned their scrolls. And the silversmiths were terrified of the power found within the Christians. This morning, I want you to know what you got in you. If you're a Christian, if you believe, follow, and have been immersed in Jesus, you have the power of the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. You have the power of the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within you. So you have resurrection power. You don't need to despair in your dying marriage or dead situation because the power of resurrection lives in you. You got the light of the world shining in you so that whatever uncertain darkness you may face, you just gotta let that light of faith shine on that. You got the fruit of the Spirit, so within you are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You have everything you need in you to overcome and to succeed. You can change the world. You got what you need to get through. So you say, let me tap into some patience. Because I need that right about now. Because things aren't happening as fast as I thought they would. Let me open up the box of kindness in this moment. Because if not, I'm going to say some things I regret. I'm tired of engaging in this sin over and over and over and over again. So let me tap into some self-control so I can find victory. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is in you. Which means the power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to you. You remember when I started, I told you the story of this tool and die maker in Indiana who came across this Heed painting that was worth $1.8 or $1.2 million, and he bought it for 30 bucks. He placed it on his wall above his couch to cover a hole, and he didn't know the value of what he had in his possession. I wonder. I wonder if one of the reasons he didn't know the value is not just because he didn't know what kind of painting it was, but I wonder if he underestimated the value of what he had in his possession is because he paid such a low price for it. You know, the forgiveness that you've been given in Jesus costs you nothing, but it costs Jesus everything. It cost him his life. And he laid down everything so that you could receive the free gift of grace, not to take it for granted, not to yawn at it, but to accept it with gratitude and live in the power that he gives you. And that's what we remember every single week when we take communion that yes, salvation is a free gift and it costs us nothing, but it costs him everything. I wanna invite you as we take communion in a moment to not undervalue the gift of salvation that you have, the power available to you because it costs you nothing. That's why when we take communion, we take the bread, it reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken for us. And the juice that reminds us of his blood that was shed for us, oh, let it be a reminder. Yes, it costs you nothing. It costs you nothing, but it costs him everything. I'm gonna pray in a moment, and then we'll take communion. But Paul's prayer for the Ephesians was this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so you may know him better. Pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. I hope your eyes have been opened today so that you realize the power you have and God's spirit living inside of you. You know, following God is a journey of untapped, of discovering untapped power and potential in your life. And I wanna leave you with this. I think if I stood up here and I said, hey, God is powerful. God can do anything. But I said it different. If I said, "God is powerful. God can do anything. He can accomplish anything in your life. you'd probably clap and you'd say, "Amen and you get hyped and pumped up. But if I said, you're powerful and you can accomplish anything. I said, well, I don't know about that pastor. I mean I try. I mean, I ain't got much time. <laughs> I mean, I tried my best, but no, you're powerful. You can accomplish anything. You know why? Because if you're a Christian, you got the Spirit of God living inside of you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So you can overcome the addiction. You can love like you want to. You can forgive. You can be a conqueror. You are powerful, but you don't believe it. A few of you do. you got to believe it. When you believe it, when you know it, a revolution breaks out in your life like you'll never see or you'll never imagine. Until then just keep on keeping on plodding along praying God to fiction change you whatever no no I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open and you would know the power available to you and it would change everything yes God is powerful but so are you And I pray you know that today. It's in Jesus' name, amen.